First, I would like to thank all of you for your great efforts today. If we'll be able to clean out as much junk from our minds in the next three months as we did from the attic, we'll be doing well, I think. This cleaning is actually related to something that's quite important in the practice. The Buddha described the seven factors of enlightenment, which we'll be talking about a lot during the course. He described different conditions for these factors of enlightenment to arise. He said that one of the conditions for the wisdom factor to arise was cleanliness, cleanliness of body, cleanliness of environment. He likened it to the cleaning of an oil lamp. Now if the glass is clean and the wick is clean and the oil is clean, the light is very bright. So through the efforts in these few days, it's really creating a place of cleanliness and brightness for us to do the practice in. It's impactful. Coming together for a three-month retreat is really a very rare event in the world. There are not many places where this kind of long-duration, intensive practice takes place. And people have gathered here. There's really been a coming together from all parts of the world. There are people from all over the States, in Canada, in Europe, in Australia, in New Zealand, in Africa. All to this tiny little town in central Massachusetts. (laughs) It's quite amazing. This is a very beautiful coming together. And it's interesting, it's very interesting to me to watch particularly the very beginning part of a retreat. People gather, and there are a lot of old friends here, people who have either been here many times before or who have practiced together before. So there's a gathering and there's a meeting and there's a talking and a sharing. And then on Friday evening, the bell will ring And everybody will enter into a whole new land. And it's an amazing land that you will enter into. It's a land of silence. It's a land of depth. And it's a land of aloneness. really being alone for three months. And it's a land of oneness, of going beyond the boundaries of self and other. When that bell 
rings on Friday and we enter into the silence and depth of the retreat, we'll be entering into a land of very direct and intense and immediate experience because there are no distractions and there are no diversions. Each day and every day, what we will be doing is coming face to face with ourselves. So we're really entering the land of this very powerful self-discovery. The purpose of coming together, the purpose of a retreat of this kind, is to explore the nature of ourselves, to explore the nature of the body. What is it? To explore the nature of the mind. To understand not through philosophical inquiry, but through our own immediate direct experience of what it means to be alive. What is it that we call life? It's entering a land of this discovery of the most fundamental questions. And it's an amazing gift that you've given to yourselves this time of three months of practice to explore at this depth. It will be a chance to see very clearly all the ways, all the very many ways, the mind creates suffering for itself. All the kinds of fears and resistances and hindrances and difficulties will be very obvious. You'll be swimming in them. (laughs) And it will also be the opportunity to discover for oneself, not through reading and not through thinking about it, but through one's own direct experience of the very real and genuine possibilities of happiness and of freedom in the mind. It's a chance to see for ourselves, to understand for ourselves, how is this mind working? What is its nature? The word Vipassana is a Pali word One of its meanings is to see things clearly. So that's what we'll be doing. We'll be attempting 
to see things clearly. But as we begin, in the beginning of practice, and this is true even for quite experienced yogis, when there's a new beginning, a new retreat, what is at first confronted in the mind, for the most part, is a rushing torrent of memories, of thoughts, of plans, of judgments, of ideas, of likes and dislikes and opinions. And it's really seeing how our mind habitually is running. It's how, for the most part, we're living our lives, although very often unaware that the mind is doing that. We sit down, we become a little still, and then we see the immense amount of activity in the mind. This habit of being carried away, being swept away by this torrent of activity. But very slowly, And very steadily, the mind begins to calm down a little bit, begins to get a little quiet, a little still. And with that stillness and with that steadiness, it's possible to begin to penetrate, to open to deeper and deeper levels. Retreat is a special time for a very special purpose and a very distinct purpose. Its purpose is to develop a strong and continuous observing power of mind. At first it's difficult and we get lost and we get carried away and it's starting again, it's beginning again, it's coming back again and again. It's not a mistake that the mind will wander. A common reaction that yogis have when they see how often the mind wanders, I must be doing something wrong. I'm a bad yogi. I can't do this. Everybody's mind is like that. It's not a mistake that it keeps going off and is wandering. Our task is to see that, to acknowledge it, and just to come back again, come back again and again and again. Very gently. If you relate to the mind as if it is a very tender infant. That will be a very fine way to relate to it. You take care of it, you nurture it, you love it, pay attention to it, you change its diapers. Very lovingly. There'll be a lot of messes That's natural, that's the nature of things. 
developing a tenderness towards oneself, towards one's mind, towards one's experience, is a fundamental basis or foundation for deeper and deeper exploration. We have to be loving and love it when we're not loving, be accepting of that. What this takes is a very strong commitment. It's the commitment to be aware. It's the commitment to be awake. This commitment is absolutely necessary. And at the same time, it cannot be forced. Can't be forced, we can't pretend. The place inside of us which can foster the commitment or nurture the commitment is that place of interest and that place of willingness. And everyone here has that or you wouldn't be here. This is a major commitment that you've made to come for three months you can continually reconnect with that sense of interest in what it is that's going on. Whatever it is, whatever the experience is, can I be with it? Can I understand it? Can I stay with it? It's really opening to the whole range of experience. And in the course of these three months, there will be very many surprises. You'll be happy, you'll be sad, you'll be depressed, you'll be bored, you'll be excited. Things will be compelling, things will be gray. Everything, everything is going to happen. Can you retain the interest and the willingness Let me feel this, let me feel this, let me feel this. That's the spirit, the underlying spirit that is necessary for sustaining this length of practice. I'd like to talk a little bit about a few things that meditation isn't. Just as a way of helping you to stay on track during these three months. Meditation is not thinking about things. The mind loves to think. And it thinks a lot. When people come on retreat and the mind says, oh boy, nobody to bother me. I can just sit and think. (laughs) This wonderful, quiet space. And we have, each of us has our own predilections. Some people like to problem solve. Okay, I'm going to solve the problems of my relationship. And so we just 
go through that whole scenario over and over again. Some people love to be creative. Mind delight in the creativity and starts writing the great Western novel or designing the perfect house. <laughs> Whatever. Meditation is not thinking about things. It's not solving our problems. It's not engaging in these great creative endeavors. All of those are wonderful aspects of the mind. And they're very appropriate to do at certain times. They just don't happen to be meditation. It's something else. A more subtle kind of thought that entices us and seduces us, especially as the practice goes on, are all the wonderful kinds of Dhamma thoughts that we have. Because as the mind gets calm and peaceful and understanding begins to arise, all these fantastic kinds of thoughts about the Dhamma, about how things are, about the truth. Well, that must be okay, because I'm thinking about the meditation. Be watchful. Be very watchful. I'm not suggesting in any way that these thoughts will not or should not come. Because there will be countless numbers of thoughts. What I am suggesting is that you take care with them So you don't choose to follow these avenues of thought thinking that it is meditation. Many times the mind will be carried away, will be lost. That's natural and it's going to happen. But as soon as we become aware, as soon as we awaken again, if you can remember to let it go, no matter how interesting, how compelling, how exciting, let it go, come back to the object, it will serve you very well. something else that meditation is not. It's not psychotherapy. It is very therapeutic. And so there are areas of overlapping and complementarity. But it's not really for the sake of delving into our stories. We all have a story. We all have a history. We're all messed up in one way or another. And meditation is not about that level of exploration, although that is an important and valuable thing to do. It's just not meditation. It's something else. Because in the meditation practice, what we want to do is to go from the level of our personal story and our personal history and our personal problems to understand the underlying nature of the mind. What is the nature of fear? 
What is the nature of anger? What is the nature of peace? The nature of the mind is universal. When we understand anger, when we understand happiness, when we understand joy, when we understand stillness in ourselves, we understand it in everybody. There will be many kinds of psychological insights which come up. Hour after hour of sitting and walking and sitting and walking, many things will become clear to you. The caution that I'm suggesting tonight is to be aware, to be open to these insights, the insights of our personalities, of our stories, and to let it go. Stay on track. The last thing that I'd like to mention in terms of what meditation isn't, most of you being old yogis know this very well, is that it's not a holiday. You might have thought you're coming to this wonderful place, New England in the fall. You know, the leaves are turning and the weather's mostly nice and nice little holiday. It's not a holiday. What you are undertaking is the most difficult thing a person can do. This understanding of the mind, the transformation of consciousness, tremendously difficult. It's not complicated. The power of the Buddha's teaching is the amazing clarity and simplicity of the path. But it's not easy. And so in undertaking this retreat, it's to really undertake it with a tremendous amount of self-respect, of respect for your own efforts, because it is a tremendous undertaking. In order to do it, to undertake this training for three months. It's necessary to embody a certain spirit of renunciation. In some way we are creating for these three months a great practice monastery. There are are many, many monasteries throughout Asia and some in the West where people do not engage in this kind of intensive practice. 
We are creating something here that it is extremely rare and special. And in entering this practice monastery for three months, it is undertaking it with a spirit of renunciation. And it's a very important spirit. What is it that we're renouncing? One of the big things that is being renounced is the idea of pleasure as being our guiding principle. Very often in our lives, we go through our lives trying to feel good in the various ways, whether it's feeling good through sensual pleasures or feeling good through the kinds of relationships we have or the kinds of work we do. The meditation is not about feeling good. There's a whole different measure of what we're doing. And there are many times when it will feel terrible. And very often, it's when it feels the worst that actually the most is happening. And so it's renouncing our old way of viewing things and just opening ourselves opening ourselves to being with the Dhamma, to being with what is true in each moment. We feel happy, we feel fine, we feel light, great. It's painful, it's difficult, there's suffering, fine. Just to be with what is. There's that level of renunciation. There's the renunciation of one of our major areas of support in life. And that is the relationship and connection with our family, with our friends. And mostly in our lives, we rely a lot upon the support of the people closest to us. During this time in entering this new land, it's really learning to rely on one's own inner strength, developing that strength, one's own inner gentleness, and developing that gentleness. And so it's a renunciation in some way of the usual external supports. And through the power of that renunciation, we learn about our own strength. There is tremendous freedom in going beyond our habituated forms of dependency. And so this three months of practice is a powerful time for understanding our own strength inside. 
There's a renunciation of pleasure as the guiding principle. There's the renunciation of our usual support, family and friends and relationships. There's also another kind of renunciation, which is the letting go of our old ideas and opinions about ourselves. For the most part, we're quite identified with a certain persona. We have a certain mask by which we understand ourselves, which we present to others. And the practice is a way of dropping behind that, letting go of that, renouncing that, going to a much, much deeper level of understanding who we are. It's renouncing our old ideas about ourselves, our self-images. We'll be using many tools of practice in accomplishing all this. One of the ones that takes some practice and effort to learn skillfully, to learn how to use skillfully, is the tool of mental noting. Many of you have some experience with it, others will be learning it. I want to talk a little bit about how this tool of mental noting functions in the practice. It serves this undertaking of exploration in many different ways. It's really a a strong ally for us. There is a very broad spectrum of awareness and a very narrow track of meditation. There are many ways that we can be aware that are not meditation. You're sitting and you have this strong pain in your knee. You feel the pain. You're aware of the pain. But in the mind, there's a reaction to it. There's a tense.
You're sitting and you have this strong pain in your knee. You feel the pain. You're aware of the pain. But in the mind, there's a reaction to it. There's a tensing, there's a contraction, there's an aversion. I don't like it. I want it to go away. Why doesn't it get better? The awareness is there, but that's not mindfulness. That's not meditation. The narrow track of mindfulness or meditation is when we are aware of what's present without aversion, without grasping, without desire, without identifying with the object. This is very subtle space of mind. The noting as a tool helps us find that meditative track. For example, you're sitting and you feel the pain and the mind starts noting pain, 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 pain. You can hear the tone of voice of the note. It's showing you, it's revealing to you that reaction in the mind. Without that tool, it's very easy to think we're being mindful, but actually what's happening is awareness, but with a reaction. So the tone of voice of the note is like a constant mirror for, for the quality in the mind. can also happen with pleasant experiences. After some time, you may start feeling very calm, peaceful or quiet. And you're aware that it's peaceful and quiet. And you think, oh yes, I'm meditating very well now. And really, what may very well be happening is there's an awareness of the peace, an awareness of the calm. Yes, the mind's just staying very easily on the breath. But a subtle kind of identification with that peacefulness, with that calm, with that ease. The noting is a way, it's one way, of just staying right on track. Peace, peace, calm, quiet. In that moment of noting, there is no identification with the object. And so it becomes a very effective way for keeping the practice developing rather than either getting lost in what's pleasant or aversive or reactive to what's unpleasant. Another way that the noting serves, and this is somewhat paradoxical because the very purpose of it is what people don't like about it. And if you haven't guessed already, most people don't like to note. It's not the most popular thing going. Why is that? because it takes an effort to do it. You're sitting and just watching the breath, nice and easy, you're watching sensations. Why add 
this note to it. <laughs> you know, it seems to be getting in the way and interfering and there's a whole long list of, of reasons why it's not serving you. It's precisely the effort that it takes to do it which keeps the energy factor in the mind very strong. It keeps building the energy. And so the whole system starts to operate on more and more powerful levels. It's like if you're doing physical exercise. If you keep pushing against the limit, if you keep exerting some effort, you get stronger. The noting is like adding a couple of pounds to the weights that you're lifting. You know, it just it, it exercises the mind and it makes it strong. It keeps creating and building this energy, which is essential for the deepening of practice. Otherwise, it becomes easy just to kind of coast along at a certain level. We'll be talking a lot in interviews and in the talks about the use of this tool. The main point to remember in terms of using it skillfully is to be very soft with it. Very often, especially as people are first exploring how to use it, it's too loud and too forceful or too aggressive. The noting can be done very softly, very, very gently. And as you find that place in the mind, you'll begin to see what an aid, what an ally it is for keeping you on the meditative track. Sometimes when you go outside at night, you look, you just look up at the sky and you see the stars. See billions of light years away. Sometimes you just look up at the sky and there's just the sense of this amazing vastness of the universe. It's vast and it's mysterious. A lot of things that we don't understand about it. As vast as the universe is outside, that's how vast is the world inside. This is an amazing journey. And what we're doing in this three-month course is such a wonderful powerful time, it's developing the tools of the mind, the power of the mind to undertake this inward exploration, to begin to open to one layer and another layer and another layer and another layer. And it just keeps getting deeper and more richer. It's tremendously exciting. So I have 
this great, great joy in your being here and undertaking this. Do you have any questions about anything I've mentioned or the whole settling in process or concerns about the retreat? I think we begin to know that more deeply when we see clearly the difference between the content of our minds and the process of how it's happening. For the most part, we are lost in the content. You know, both very often in in our actual meditation practice and certainly a lot in our lives where we're lost in the story. And that story is quite different. But as the mind quiets down and we begin to make that shift from the awareness of the content to the understanding of the process, that's really where we begin to see and taste the universality of it and I think we both know it intuitively in ourselves that this is how it is in my mind and this is the nature of the mind but it's also confirmed in our communication with others in several ways. Do any of you have any doubt at all that thoughts come and go? That thoughts are impermanent? I mean, is there any doubt in your mind? It's such a universal experience. It's something that we all know. You know, We know from our own direct observation. And when we check it out with everybody else, oh yes, this is how it is. You know, and it's really, when the Buddha talked of the basic universal characteristics of experience, of impermanence, of unsatisfactoriness, of selflessness. That was the drop from content, from individual content to universal process. And it becomes very, very clear as the sitting goes on. There's another way also that we can understand the more universal aspect. And that is, even though it may seem to you as you're going from sitting to walking throughout the day, throughout many days and weeks, it may seem to you that there doesn't seem to be any order to this. 
or any lawfulness or any nature to the unfolding. Actually, the unfolding of the path is very lawful and it progresses quite systematically and developmentally and that that development is, if not identical, quite similar in everybody undertaking the path. So that's just another aspect of the commonality of experience. question was about control, that often he feels as if he's controlling the breath, and even though he's aware of it, finds it difficult to let go. That can be quite a common feeling. For the most part, it's not a problem if you can allow yourself simply to feel it in that way. Because the meditation is not particularly a breathing exercise. It's an exercise in mindfulness. And so if you feel like the breath is being forced a little bit or pushing it or whatever, and you are mindful that that is what's happening, that will serve the purpose and over time it may very well find its natural rhythm by itself. If it feels tremendously excessive, not just not just a little forcing or pushing, you could try at times just to go to hearing. Make hearing the object because you give yourself a wider base as you're listening mindfully just to the sounds and quite intently, not superficially, because you're not focusing on the breath, it may very well come to a natural rhythm again. So then after some time, you gently come back. So you could expand and then come back like that. But often people get overly concerned about a little bit of forcing of the breath where it's really not a problem. You, you don't want to give a lot of thought to finding the right note. The noting should be a single word, very simple, and if you don't see exactly what it is in the moment, use a generic term. You know, for example, maybe you're watching some sensation in the body, and you just, you don't know exactly what the sensation is. Don't spend 15 minutes trying to feeling, feeling, sensing. As the mind gets closer and closer to the object, 
And as you become more familiar with your experience in a very close way, the notes will begin to happen quite spontaneously. The noting is a tool which takes some practice in order to learn how to use it skillfully. And so it will take a little bit of patience because in the beginning it can be quite clumsy or awkward or, um, you know, and seem to be rather difficult. If you're patient with it, and it doesn't take too long, but there's there's some learning period in how to use the tool, you will see that it serves you very, very well. We've had experience now many years of teaching in our own practice. It's good. (laughs) It, It really is a tremendous help. But as I say, it takes some, takes some patience in learning how to do it in a way that's not obtrusive. We'll be working a lot with you in the interviews, you know, and helping you just to find that very delicate touch with it. delighted that this is happening again. I hope you are too. Thank you. Oh yes. Uh, Since we've actually scheduled, you know, a few short walking periods in these next few days, and some of you may not be familiar with the style of walking meditation that we do, I would like to go over it with you now, briefly. And so if everybody could stand, please. As you're standing, let the attention scan through the body so that you feel the standing posture quite carefully. You might stand with your feet about shoulder width apart so that you're well balanced, your hands in any comfortable position. Start at the top of your head. It's not particularly to adjust anything, but just to feel what's there. For this exercise just now, if you'd like, you can close your eyes. Feel the forehead and the eyes, nose and the cheeks.
and the lips and the chin. the ears. And the back of your head. Your neck. And throat. Bringing your awareness gently to each of these parts of the body and just feeling whatever it is that's there. Your shoulders and arms and hands, fingers, the chest, and the belly, and the back, feel your hips, down into your thighs, knees, and calves. Feel the contact of your feet in the floor. Keeping your attention focused there for a moment. Seeing if you can feel carefully the sensations. Is there pressure or heaviness or vibration? or warmth, or coolness. Just to see what's there. And very slowly, with a very subtle attention, begin to shift your weight onto your left foot and leg, moving very slowly, feeling those microscopic sensations in the movement. There's a whole world that's going on in that simple movement.
and rest for a moment with your weight on your left foot and leg and feel the heaviness, feel the pressure. Very slowly move through the center onto your right foot and leg. Very carefully. Rest there for a moment, feeling the weight, the heaviness, tightness. Just as slowly, carefully, lift your left heel off the ground, just the heel. Try to find a place of balance. Just lifting the heel, the left heel. And in that lifting, feel what's happening in the foot and leg. The lifting of the heel and observing carefully the sensations in the foot and leg. And slowly and taking care with your balance, Take a short step forward. You might open your eyes if it will help you balance. Feeling the forward movement and the placing. The weight coming to rest on the forward foot. Lift the back heel very slowly Observe the foot and leg that is moving. So as you're lifting, feel what's happening in that leg. Lifting and a short movement forward. Placing. Come back to center.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.